Airport stories have been the theme. <laughs> so Sylvia, Larry, and Temple have all talked about their airport stories. And Sylvia said one could really just practice at the airport. No need to leave the airport. Just practice right there. So that is my practice. 40 to 45 hours a week. That's my job at the airport. I've been working at the airport for over three decades. And I loved hearing Temple describe an airport as a temple. It, uh, I think of it that way myself sometimes, but I didn't think others would. So it was really great to hear Temple describe it that way. So we're taking care of about 200,000 people a day. A lot of times under stressful situations, sometimes under great, very happy situations but we're taking care of people as they're going through the airport. And my particular favorite place, my, my temple at the airport is Terminal 2. If you're local, you may know Terminal 2 is where Virgin America and American Airlines are. So if you go through there, listen. You can hear the silence in Terminal 2. It's an amazing thing to hear the silence in a terminal at an airport, even with all the people going through I have to tell an airport story. <laughs> I get uh, a few perks. I don't get any travel perks. No upgrades, no free tickets. Get really good parking. Get to park wherever I want. That's about the best perk I have. Once in a while, I get to meet famous people as they're coming off planes. I've done that a few times over the years. Not many times. But a few years ago, His Holiness the Dalai Lama came through. And... I really wanted to meet him, and it was a rare opportunity. He didn't have the usual entourage meeting him, just his, his own Secret Service, because he is still considered a head of state, U.S. Secret Service, and police officers, about 45 people, and me. <laughs> and he came in on a Japan Airlines flight, so that 11-hour flight from Tokyo. I was standing at the bottom of the jetway stairs. He doesn't have to go through customs. He's a head of a state. So His Holiness the Dalai Lama was just about to start down the stairs, and I looked around, and there on the pavement was a pile of chicken bones. <laughs> a pile of chicken bones. Someone had had, had their lunch and thrown it on the ground. <laughs> One of my responsibilities is keeping the airport clean, overseeing the cleanliness of the airport. So the, there was that moment of, ah, I can't believe this suffering. <laughs> and then the recognition of the cause of the suffering, wanting it to be different. And the acceptance, nothing I can do, this is the way it is. All happening in about two and a half seconds. And then His Holiness, the Dalai Lama coming down the stairs. And he really radiates love, compassion, joy, equanimity, all the Brahma Viharas right there in his presence. Really beautiful to see. And I just expected to bow to him and that would be it. But he took my hand and really warmly greeted me. I greeted him. And one of the police officers I know who is out of uniform uh, took a photo. I hadn't expected that either. And while the photo was being, being taken, I said, I'm a practitioner. Okay. 
He walked to his car, about 70, 80 feet to his car, a little entourage of four or five cars. He stopped and he looked at me. I thought, he can't be looking at me. Uh, well, I, I bowed to him. What, what else do you do when the Dalai Lama, His Holiness the Dalai Lama looks at you? I bow. <laughs> and then he motioned me to come to him. And I walked to him and he took my hand again and just very gently, very slowly said, tell me, I want to know, how long have you been practicing? And that was it, I told him. But it was such a generous act, such a sweet, kind, generous act, clearly coming from a heart of loving kindness. And it really inspired my practice. It really felt like a blessing that His Holiness the Dalai Lama coming off a long trip, most people would be very tired, that somehow he would connect energetically with the importance to me of making that connection. A few weeks later, I got a chance to meet President Obama, and I said, nah, nothing can can top His Holiness the Dalai Lama. (laughs) So it's wonderful to be here with you in this meta-practice, in this practice of cultivating loving-kindness, and the acceptance to all. Admire your dedication, your courage, your effort, your patience with the practice, your willingness to stick with it. Really feel the sense of deepening, the expanding as we expand the categories, and feel the growth of the, of the meta, of the loving kindness in the hall. Even outside, you can feel it. So we practice to cultivate and incline the heart and mind, and this supports the letting go. The letting go, as Sylvia said, the letting go of the imperative of the mind that things be different, the second noble truth. To allow a clearer seeing and for wisdom to arise into the truth of the way things really are, the Dharma, which Sylvia described last night as being able to accommodate to accept things as they are. Let's see what happens next. It's a great feeling around, let's see what happens next. It's a light, easeful, peaceful feeling, just hearing, saying those words. Ultimately, metta is an innate quality. I mentioned this at the end of the evening a couple of nights ago. Metta is an innate quality. We cultivate, cultivate, incline the heart and mind in the direction of metta, But in many ways, we're also allowing the veils of confusion that cloud the heart to drop away for this innate quality to arise. And all of the Brahma-viharas are innate. So generosity, which is a theme of tonight's talk, arises as a natural response or natural impulse of the heart to relieve suffering. And it really supports a clearer seeing of the truth of the way things are. And it's supported by understanding and opening to suffering, the first noble truth. It's rooted in renunciation, rooted in the renunciation of need, of needing things to be other than what they are, of needing anything more, or of needing anything to hold on to. And in the giving, in the generosity, the Brahma-viharas often arise spontaneously because there is a foundation of 
some understanding of suffering, the letting go, the renunciation that supports the arising of these beautiful qualities of the heart, the Brahma-viharas. And giving all support supports the beautiful qualities that Temple spoke about a few nights ago, the qualities of courage, faith, patience, and renunciation. So with all of these, it leads in the direction of peace. It leads in the direction of contentment. This is a direction of our path of practice. And there's no getting off the path of practice. Once we're on, we're on. This is a direction that it leads to this peace, to this great peace. So tonight I mainly emphasize how generosity supports the arising of metta, supports the arising of the Brahma-viharas, how it arises naturally from a heart filled with metta and how it supports the deepest realization, the deepest realization of the truth of the Dharma and the release of the heart, the release of the heart from all confusion. A quote from the Buddha, the greatest gain is to give to others. The greatest loss is to receive without gratitude. Patience is an invulnerable armor. Wisdom, the greatest gift. So traditionally in Asia, the order of practice is generosity. Practice begins with generosity. And then sila, or morality. Meditation, then meditation and insight. And we don't do it in that order so much in the West. But these factors are all important. Generosity, sila or morality. I like Bhikkhu Bodhi's description. I believe it's living in harmony with the truth or living in harmony with the world the way things are. Meditation and insight. So these uh, four factors really sow the field to purify the heart and mind for the deepest understanding of the truth. And it's also closely tied to gratitude. In my practice, gratitude really opened the door and it really what opened the door to my practice. In my own story, a little bit of my story that I'll share first, I came into practice first by opening my heart to gratitude. Gratitude that had been held back because of the unwillingness to open the suffering. And that suffering was held and caught in the body for 20 years before I came to practice. And it started to open once I started to open to the great gratitude for the great generosity that others had offered me in, in my life. So gratitude, and then that opened to generosity, that opened to my coming to practice and opening to forgiveness and opening to a deeper understanding of the Dharma. So my story, a little bit of the story. When I was 19 years old, I didn't have a place to live, very suddenly. Didn't have a place to live, and through no fault of my own. And I guess I was homeless. There was no such, I don't remember such a word 35 years ago, 40 years ago, 40 years ago. I was 19 years old. And um, just didn't have a place to live. And 
a church, All Souls Lutheran Church. Great name, All Souls. I had no connection to this church and they let me stay there. I didn't know a person there. What a great act of generosity. They saw a need, they had something to give, they gave freely. No expectation of anything in return. This is a, a great pure act of generosity. So I finally started opening to that, saying, wow, that, that was amazing. Finally started opening my heart to that, to opening, opening to see what an amazing gift that was. And I recognized I needed to practice generosity too. Initially I thought of it as repaying that debt. And it kind of stirred in my heart for a while. And one day, coming out of uh, Pete's Coffee on Market Street, saw a young man, about 20 years old, asking for money. And he didn't look homeless at all. And in seeing him, I saw myself. And I immediately started talking to him, asking what, what had happened. And he told me he'd been kicked out of the house by his partner and didn't have any money. And I said, well, can't you go to Larkin Street Youth Services? They help homeless youth. And he said, I'm too old. I'm 20 years old and adult shelters are dangerous places. And as a mystery sometimes happens, about two, week later, two weeks later, a very good friend of mine who was on the board of Larkin Street Youth Services came to me and said, would, you, would I help raise money for a new homeless shelter for older youth, for 18 to 24 year old youth? Who knows how these things happen? Karma. So I took that on. It was a way to practice generosity, but as I started, I quickly realized I was healing my own heart. And it started to really open more fully. The heart started to, you know the feeling? <laughs> heart opens wide and the suffering that had been held in the body for years started to pour out. I remember a lot of that in my first meta retreat sitting here with Sylvia over 15 years ago and that purification process really opening up. And then that, that opened to forgiveness. Open to forgiveness for those who had, in my mind, made me homeless, for the situation that made me homeless. And I came to forgiveness. I came to be able to really love those people and have gratitude. And really, I can't be anything but grateful for every part of it. I can't be anything for grateful but grateful for every part of my life because here I am in the Dharma. How beautiful to be here in the Dharma be grateful for everything. The story is still there, the scars may still be there, still may be painful. I'm not holding anything tightly. Uh, the healing, the deepest healing has happened. So, There's also something that happened on that first night, the first night of being homeless, walking all night. I walked all night. Um, 
nearly got taken to jail because you're not supposed to be on the streets in the middle of the night um, in a suburban suburb, <laughs> in a suburban neighborhood of St. Louis. Um, and then there was a moment in that night I had absolutely nothing, absolutely nothing. I'd let go of everything. And there arose the awareness that there was something great. There was everything. And there's the opening to and the clarity that anything is possible. And that was a tremendous gift. It just kept being a calling in my life to come to this practice. So how could I not feel anything but love and gratitude for everything that ever happened? Everything's completely connected. There can't be any separation from anything. And supported by the great generosity of that church that gave me that support. So in this moment, the feeling is nothing Nothing more is really needed. Nothing less is needed. Right now, right now is okay just as it is. This is the third noble truth. And this is what is to be realized directly in practice. So forgiveness is also an act of generosity, of letting go of things being otherwise. And there's this great quote from an American sage, you may not know of her as an American sage, Lily Tomlin. <laughs> forgiveness is giving up any hope of a better past. Forgiveness is giving up any hope of a better past. It really gets right to the heart of it, doesn't it? And I've been, I've been so, and I think the world's been so moved by the forgiveness after the terrorist uh, shootings in Charleston, really a terrorist act. And the forgiveness that was offered that Nadine Collier, daughter of Ethel Lance, who was killed, said, I will never talk to her again. I will never hold, hold her again. And then she was, she was speaking the person who committed the shooting, the terrorist act, but I forgive you and I have mercy on you. There's so much power in forgiveness. That is amazingly powerful. It, it feels like it disarmed the world in a certain way that that forgiveness could be offered in such an amazing, amazingly challenging time with such a violent act. So in simply taking time and coming to this retreat, you're performing an act of generosity too. It's an act of generosity for yourself, for your friends, for family, for the world. Imagine if everyone in the world took 10 days for a matter retreat. If the whole world right now are taking 10 days for a matter retreat, I think we could really make a lot of progress on environmental issues, on social justice issues, on peace in the world. So generosity is, is really simply the practice of giving without expecting anything in return. That's the purest form of generosity. And it's like metta, it's unconditional. It's rooted in kindness. 
from a ground of contentment, of having enough, of being contented, of not needing. And that forgive, the forgiveness practice that's been offered here, the Brahma Vihara practice, all supports this, all supports the arising of generosity. And then generosity in turn, when, when uh, generosity is offered, it further supports the arising of the Brahma Viharas. So generosity can be giving of care, of service, giving materially, giving food, money, giving shelter, giving of presence, simply giving presence, simply being present in the face of suffering to someone else or even to our own, to ourselves. It's a great gift. And being present without needing it to be any different than it is. So when we're with a friend or family member or a stranger who is suffering and we can just be present, have the heart connection, but not trying to make it any different than it is, that's a great gift. It really can really support the other being and the letting go and the letting go to freedom. I also like to reflect on how important generosity is in our being here, in our being in the Dharma and being in this practice. The entire Dharma, this entire practice has been carried forward over 2,500 years through generosity. Through the generosity of those who gave, gave money, gave funds to support the renunciates, to support the teachers, to support the monasteries, the teachers who carried forward the teachings, the beings who are fully realized freedom and complete liberation. And that ties us directly to the moment of the Buddha's awakening. That's such an inspiration to me that I've drawn great inspiration, great faith in the practice from that to reflect that this moment is directly tied to the moment of the Buddha's awakening and we're practicing the teachings that he offered over 2,500 years ago. It's also an inspiration to think, on the, think about the renunciants, the monks and nuns who give up all possessions and depend upon generosity meal to meal and the dedication of their practice. So generosity can be big or small, but it's most pure when it's acted on from an impulse, from the impulse of seeing suffering and the need to respond to suffering. It's freely offered. And it has the power to defile these, def to uproot the defilements of greed, hatred, and delusion. And the generosity is most pure when the, when the greed, hatred, and delusion are not present at all. When the heart is not in contention at the present moment. So here's a small example, but it really touched my heart. Um, I was at a friend's house for dinner, someone I didn't know real well, but getting to know, he was connected to other friends, of about 15, 20 people. And he was just back from Asia and had these Royce chocolates. Anybody know Royce chocolates from Japan? Really amazing. I don't eat a lot of chocolates, but I eat chocolates, I want them to be really good. And these are really good. 
So he offered these at the end of dinner, and I said, oh, these are amazing, Alan. And without a moment hesitation, he said, oh, I bought two boxes, I'll give you the second box. He didn't stop to think, uh, do I want it for myself or not? Should I give it to another friend? I made the comment, I really liked it, and immediately the impulse to give freely. No expectation of anything in return. Not letting that thinking process get in the way of the generosity. And it made a great heart connection that I didn't have previously with Alan. So he's really become a much closer, closer friend. And I reflected, I, it, it brought me joy to see his generosity that I expressed to him. And it, it brought him joy to hear my joy. So this wonderful multiplier effect of the joy. So the downside is uh, other friends who were there heard how much I liked the Roy's chocolates. <laughs> so by December, I had five pounds of chocolates in my refrigerator. I didn't act quickly enough in giving those away to others. So it's important to act on that impulse and not get caught up in the thinking that follows. So another story on acting on the impulse of generosity, another story of homelessness keeps coming up in my life a little bit. And this is a story of my title, It Wasn't Me. It truly, it wasn't me. So I was retain, returning from a retreat, and I met a retreat. And first day back, and I walked down my street, I live a half block from Market Street, so lots of homeless people. And generally, it's not much, I don't have much interaction. It's, it's overwhelming to have the interaction. I l- always look them in the eye, but I don't have much interaction. But I turned the corner, and there was a man who looked homeless in a T-shirt. And it was cold. It was damp. And out of my mouth came the words, you must be cold. Here, take my jacket. And it wasn't me. (laughs) There was no thinking. The words just emerged. There was a startle that I was aware of. Like, where'd that come from? (laughs) There must also have been the other startle of seeing the suffering, but the startle of where'd that come from was even stronger. And it connected our hearts. We had a great conversation, really, just two people together. And in many ways, it felt like the first time I'd ever really had given freely. It felt like so directly from the heart, felt so powerful. So it was a gift to him, but it seemed like a bigger gift to me because I really realized something even more deeply about the importance of generosity, about the important importance of that impulse from the heart. And it was an insight too in seeing it wasn't me. It could, one could take pride in something like that, but I can't take pride in it. It just came out of my mouth. So connecting uh, this act to the Brahma Viharas, just as an illustration of how the Brahma Viharas arose. There was a field of loving kindness from having been on retreat, still resting in the, in the loving kindness, the ground of loving kindness. 
and letting, there is a letting go with that loving kindness, that unconditional love. There's a letting go of some of the normal boundaries around what's acceptable that allowed that generous act to come up. And the letting go of my need, letting go of my need to have that jacket, a level of renunciation. And the unconditional quality of metta, it's not conditional. The compassion that arose, the startle, the response to the suffering, feeling the suffering and wanting to relieve the suffering, all just like that, just like a snap of the fingers. Joy from having made the human connection brought him joy, brought me joy, that joy going back and forth that builds. In the, and the equanimity in simply giving without attachment, without expectation, without judgment. I didn't need to ask him, why don't you have a jacket? I didn't need to ask him a situation, was he addicted to drugs or alcohol? It was just, he's suffering, I have, he needs, here. And this really opens the door for deeper insights as these Brahma-viharas arise. Uh, Another story that I could label, this wasn't mine, and it wasn't mine. Um, My car was stolen, and after paying $600 to get it out of the towing lot, um, my car wasn't worth a whole lot more than $600, that got my car back. And inside the car was $68 wadded up and almost all in ones, just a few $5 bills, and I, I didn't even want to touch it. I just wanted to throw it away, but I didn't even want to touch it to throw it away. So the next day I had a walk, a mile walk on Van Ness between two meetings. Van Ness is a big boulevard, fair number of homeless people along the street. So I decided I'm just going to give it away. So every homeless person I saw, I just gave $3, $5, a little more than they're used to receiving. They were like, wow, thank you, and talked a little bit to them. And I was really getting joy, getting mudita and, and feeling their joy and happiness. And uh, gave about half of it away going there and then coming back. And then the little clinging came up like, oh, this is really good. I, I want this to keep going. Maybe I'll start giving out smaller amounts so I can keep this joy going. So a little, not quite entirely generous that, uh, that arose. But it was, uh, it was sweet just to that random, that random giving. No expectation of anything in return. Again from the Buddha, uh, generosity brings happiness at every stage of its expression. We experience joy in forming the intention to be generous, experience joy in the actual act of giving something, and we experience joy in remembering the fact that we have given. So we can bring awareness to this entire process and it can really support the mudita practice to keep opening to experience the joy and the intention and the action and the reflection. So presence, presence is an act of generosity. This has been a really important part of my practice as a Zen hospice volunteer. And as a hospice volunteer, the gift is just to sit, listen, and breathe. The, The instructions are to sit, listen, breathe. Exactly what we're doing here, basically, other than repeating the phrases although I often do use the metaphrases. And particularly when I come into the house, 
my mind still thinking about the activities of the night before, what's coming up that night for dinner. I arrive at the house at 9 a.m. on Sunday. So usually no family members are there yet, just the residents. And I'll often begin just by sitting. Sitting, listening, breathing, no expectations, no problem. Been there long enough to know that death is ordinary. It's not, death is ordinary. It's a sacred time, the ending of life. It can be very beautiful too in a, some mysterious way. And often I'll, re- I'll start saying the metaphrases to come to arrive, to arrive fully, to connect with the resonance that I'm with. It might be very simple phrases. May you be happy. May you be at ease. May you be comfortable. If the resonance are closer to death, may your passage be smooth. May it be easy. May you let go to love and light. Silently saying those phrases and it begins to make a more heartfelt connection. It's interesting when I first started that practice, the dominant feeling some years ago was I'm not worthy of this. I'm not good enough. I'm not really good enough for this practice, for being there with people who are dying. I imagine some of you have had this feeling, that feeling on that retreat, on this retreat of coming up. It comes up for people. I'm not worthy. I'm not good enough. It isn't true. It's not true at all. And one of the things that really breaks my heart and hospice care is sometimes seeing someone who's dying who thinks there's something not good enough in their heart. It's heartbreaking because it's not true and it can see the beauty of their heart. Never nothing, never anything wrong. So this misperception is, it's it's the one thing that really breaks my heart to see. And in this practice, too, of being with the dying, the, that heart connection of words and actions springing from the heart become more commonplace. It's just a hand that touches a hand or strokes a head or expresses words of kindness or love just arise from the heart. The words don't get in the way. So for my practice, it reconditions the heart to help clear the understanding, to renounce the imperative that things be different than they are, to just be present as it is and allow the actions, the words, or no actions or words, just presence, just to arise, be known, and to know it's all okay. It's all okay in every moment. And that opens to such a beautiful mystery. It opens to the mystery of this life. To the not knowing. 
I do want to say too that it's different. I know when it will be different when I'm with loved ones who are dying. It will be different than the presence that is possible in being with as a volunteer in caregiving. So if, clearly that if, if you've experienced death recently, your experience will be very different from what I'm describing as a volunteer. And I know my experience will be different that grief, grief in, is inevitable when we lose loved ones. A couple of years ago, I heard a talk by Joseph Goldstein and he really inspired me with that instruction to bring the intention of awareness to the impulse to give, to, to give generously and to act on that impulse when it arises. Uh, it's been a part of my practice. It's, it's certainly not always so, especially it's challenging being in the working world, the fast-paced world. Sometimes it always seems to be just a moment after, you know, driving down the freeway. Oh, I could have let that person in or grocery store, or I should have let that person buy me in the grocery line and just let them go first. These opportunities, these small opportunities for generosity, sometimes bigger. But even the awareness of missing the opportunity helps to redirect the mind and allow that letting go, that renunciation of needing. So keep rechanneling the heart and mind and keep allowing the field of meta to grow. Uh, there's opportunities for practicing generosity here. I've seen many uh, acts of generosity constantly throughout the day, just in holding open a door, the way we're really quiet in our dorms or in the hall. We're, we're holding everyone in kindness and gentleness. So bring awareness to that too, and know the joy of that, those simple acts of offering generosity. I've talked about the impulse, but there's also a very considered giving that should emphasize of a friend who's a heads of foundation and he he really is so diligent in checking where he gives the money and making sure the money's carefully used and the way you make make donations maybe to charitable organizations may be done the same way and that's important to do. So I don't don't say that every act of generosity should be given from an impulse. But it's a real skillful uh area of practice to focus on that impulse and act on the impulse and not let those thoughts get in the way. So a little bit about accepting generosity, making the acceptance of generosity a practice, something we don't typically think about maybe. To recognize when we accept generosity, we're allowing others to realize merit from that generosity. And we can accept with a heart of gratitude and loving kindness. So this bickering over the check that can go on, I decided to let go of that. Someone offers, thank you, that's very generous. It means a lot more to the other person. It diminishes the other person's generosity with the bickering. I'll make the mental note next time it's my turn. <laughs> but it's a small thing, but it's an important thing. I had a great lesson on acceptance of generosity. A lot of opportunities to practice generosity when I walk through the airport and I will walk typically four miles, get a lot of walking practice at the airport, a lot of 
opportunity to help lost people or give advice on things to do in the city or sometimes people in distress. All kinds of things that go on at the airport. A few years ago, I ran across someone who'd been at the airport three days trying to get a flight out. Not at all distressed. Just wanted to know what, what are interesting things to do around the airport. <laughs> someone who is contented, easily satisfied. So I love to help monastics. Sometimes I see monastics going through the airport and uh, last year, just about this time, I saw a monastic and he looked lost. I walked up to him, he couldn't speak English. Uh, he handed me his boarding pass. It was really interesting. Usually if someone hands me their boarding pass, they leave their hand right there like for it to go right back to their hand. He took his hand down, accepting the generosity, trusting me. And I offered to take him to his gate and some walk, it was probably a half mile walk, basically the other end of the airport. And we had some exchange. He, uh, we were using some function on his, on his iPhone that did a language translation, so it was kind of working. But we were making a real nice heart connection and uh, we got to his gate and it was clear that he wanted to buy a meal before his flight. And um, monks typically don't carry money, but maybe for travel, they're allowed to. Is that right, Temple? I think he had it. <laughs> but I, I insisted on paying it, and he, he let me. He didn't just, he started, and I said, no, no, no. <laughs> so it was a generous act that allows the earning of merit, and a particular earning of merit in supporting monastics. And at the end of the time together, we spent maybe 25 minutes together, he gave me a hug, that was unexpected. <laughs> and he gave me a card, and then he gave me another card, and the cards were he was head of a Tibetan monastery in India, head of a university, and head of a hospital. And um, he invited me to visit his monastery. So these sweet heart connections that can be made in the acts of generosity. So, generosity is a natural impulse of the heart. Natural impulse of the heart from a heart filled with metta. Natural response to pain. Natural response to the startle of seeing pain. To open to compassion and then to act when there's an opportunity to relieve suffering. And it's grounded in the Brahma Viharas, but it also supports, supports the arising of the Brahma Viharas that support the letting go of the defilements, the dropping of the defilements of greed, hatred, and delusion, which opens the door for the deepest realizations, for breaking through the f illusion of separation, seeing through the need for things to be otherwise. to come to that place of, it's okay. It's okay just as it is, just now. So when there's no needing, no cling to anything, there is a complete letting go. And with a complete letting go, there is peace. There is freedom. There is the end of suffering. 
This is our path of practice. Of closing with words from the Dhammapada. There is no fire like passion, no crime like hatred, no sorrow like separation, no sickness like hunger, and no joy like the joy of freedom. Health, contentment, and trust are your greatest possessions, and freedom your greatest joy. Look within, be still, free from fear and attachment, know the sweet joy of the way. Now let's sit for a moment. There is no fire like passion, no crime like hatred, no sorrow like separation, no sickness like hunger, and no joy like the joy of freedom. Health, contentment, and trust are your greatest possessions, and freedom your greatest joy. Look within, be still, free from fear and attachment, Know the sweet joy of the way. Thank you for your presence and practice. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.